Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, January 6. Can the recent weather end the drought? More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. Immigration activists have been expressing disappointment over the Biden administration's announcement of new border policies, including the immediate expulsion of asylum seekers from Cuba, Nicaragua, and Haiti. Pedro Rios is with the American Friends Service Committee in San Diego. He says the new rules will make things worse along the border, but says he isn't surprised by the announcement. He says the Biden administration knows it has lost ground on border rhetoric. And as they're looking for 2024 in the presidential elections, the Biden administration wants to look tough on border issues. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorka says the fundamental problem is that the immigration system is broken. Gavin Newsom will be sworn into his second term as California's governor today. He will take the oath of office on the steps of the state capitol. This four-year term will be his final as governor. The Regional Task Force on Homelessness is in need of more volunteers for the upcoming point-in-time count. The count is scheduled for January 26. It's a federally required activity and provides a one-day snapshot of how many San Diego County residents are living in emergency shelters, transitional housing, safe havens, and on streets. If you'd like to register to be a volunteer, visit the Task Force website. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. You've been thinking about helping KPBS with a donation. Why not donate that extra car you no longer need? Pickup is free and you're supporting KPBS Public Media. Here's how. Visit kpbs.careasy.org. With all the rain and snow we've had so far, you might be wondering if we're getting close to ending the drought. KPBS reporter John Carroll says that answer depends on how you define a drought. In Wednesday's San Jose Mercury News, a San Diegan made an eye-opening statement. Marty Ralph is the director of the Center for Western Weather and Water Extremes at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. He's an expert on atmospheric rivers. Ralph said if these storms continue to come on shore for the next two or three weeks, that will end the drought. But in my interview with him Thursday afternoon, Ralph clarified. I think there's something we could call landscape drought, which is like the, the the plants and all that growing in the soils and, you know, the soils themselves. But the deeper groundwater things, that's a long haul to recover that. Ralph says recharging the state's depleted groundwater and refilling giant reservoirs like Lakes Powell and Mead will take years of above average precipitation, along with good management. John Carroll, KPBS News. Today marks two years since supporters of former President Donald Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, hoping to halt the certification of Joe Biden's election. KPBS's Amitha Sharma spoke to a local political analyst about the impact of the January 6th insurrection on San Diegans. Since the insurrection's first anniversary, a House committee has investigated the attack, held public hearings, and referred former President Trump 
to the Justice Department for criminal charges. But Mesa College political science professor Carl Luna says San Diegans have largely been unmoved by those developments. We've just kind of ignored it. It's such an East Coast thing. We'll just keep going on with our San Diego stuff and pretend it's not going to affect us. But he says the region still has its share of extremists, who are members of the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, the far-right groups largely responsible for the carnage on January 6, 2021. And while local law enforcement tries to keep an eye on them, I'm not quite convinced that we really have a good feel for just how things could become in San Diego if it became a really divided national scene by 2024. At least three local men have been arrested for participating in the breach at the Capitol, Two were convicted and one pleaded guilty. And San Diego resident Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed by a police officer during the attack. Amitha Sharma, KPBS News. New data from the County Health Department isn't showing a large spike in COVID or flu cases from the Christmas holiday. They're actually trending down. It's too early to tell if we'll see a bump from New Year's celebrations. County Public Health Officer Dr. Wilma Wooten says it's good news, especially when it comes to COVID-19. We're cautiously optimistic. The one thing that uh, we can't rest on our laurels and just think because things are moving down now, we could have another small surge. And the surge that we saw so far has been small if you compare it to last year. Wooten says the downward trends are likely due to the majority of San Diegans being vaccinated. COVID hospitalizations are also lower than they were this time last year. She says we're likely on track to end the public health emergency late next month. San Diego County Sheriff Kelly Martinez is just a few weeks into the job as the county's top law enforcement officer. The San Diego native began her work for the department in 1985 as a deputy in the county jails. And as the department's sheriff, she is tasked with bringing change to a jail system with some of the highest numbers of in-custody deaths in the state. KPBS Midday Edition host Jane Heidman asked Sheriff Martinez how she plans to change this. We've already made a lot of changes in the last year. You know, I welcomed the audit from the state auditors that was directed by the JLAC last year, and we've really taken all of those recommendations to heart. Today we came out with a press release, which you might have seen, with a lot of the improvements we made as while I was under sheriff last year. We still have more work to do. I think uh, one of the things we did that it has helped is the better medical and mental health screening at intake, uh, doing the urine screening at intake, which helps us identify what drugs someone might have in their system to help them with their withdrawal symptoms and what we can you know, what we should prescribe as part of the medicated assistant treatment. And some of those things helped. Having more naloxone in the jail and available in the jails has helped certainly reverse uh, some of the overdoses and things that are happening. How does the sheriff department take on that, that kind of responsibility? The jail is not a mental health facility. How do you manage that? Well, you know, you hit on a good point. The jails were built, a lot of them, 40 and 50 years ago. They were built with a different idea in mind about how we incarcerate people and also a different population that might not have been as had as many mental health issues, medical issues, as some of the people that are coming into our custody today. But it is my responsibility as a sheriff to keep people safe and to provide them the health care that they need while they're in our custody. So we're looking at best practices around the country to see if there's things we can do differently. And what do you say to people whose loved ones have died while incarcerated and are looking for answers? 
first off, I you know I sympathize with anyone who's had had that experience. I think it must be terrible to have a loved one in a jail and you don't have access to that person. You don't know what happened. We instituted last year a more robust family liaison protocol where we have people assigned specifically to work with the families and to help them understand what happened when we can. One of the things that takes a long time and it's really because of workload is the medical examiner can't give us answers right away as well. It takes a while for them to get the toxicology reports back and to get us the, the answers to uh, what was really happening with the individual and that's just really nothing the medical examiner can help. It's just his workload is also increased particularly with the fentanyl overdoses and the deaths in the county. Yeah and you mentioned drug overdoses. I mean within the jails they have also been a major problem. What do you know about how drugs are getting into county jails in the first place? You know, they're coming in a lot of different ways. People at intake, we're taking, we're recovering a lot of drugs that are on people when they come into intake. We're also recovering some when, you know, people swallow it, they body pack, they do a lot of different things. Drugs are granular. The drugs are granular in nature, and so it's very difficult to find, but we have body scanners that help us sometimes when we see anomalies. We can, you know, investigate if the person has drugs in their system or, you know, bulk drugs in their system. We're finding it in the mail. Uh, people mail it in, so we have changed the way that we process our mail now so that we're more efficient in finding drugs that come in through the through the mail system. People go to court and they get drugs passed to them in court so we have have to have a robust system of searching people when they come back from court. We're trying to we're adding more body scanners which will help but the body scanners aren't perfect. They break down, they don't work, they don't always pick up the drugs and so um, we do it. We have a lot of investigative techniques. We have more canines so we're doing a, a lot to try to prevent the drugs. Are deputies or, or jail employees bringing these drugs in? We don't have any evidence of that. Um, if we get any idea, and we have a lot of ways to find out if they are, I mean, all of our, you know, people will tell us a lot of times, and so we would investigate that if it happened, and we haven't seen any evidence of that. Last year, the department rejected a recommendation from CLRB to have all jail personnel scanned upon entry. I mean, if employees are not scanned or checked, how can you be sure uh, that's not how drugs are getting into the jails? So the body scanning that people suggest, as I said before, it's not a perfect system. It's not going to catch all the drugs that are coming in, but we can't body scan our employees uh, several times a day. It's just not healthy. It's not safe, and it's not really an effective way to find drugs that are coming in the jail all the time. We can't ever be 100% sure, but right now with the resources we have, we're going to focus where we know the drugs are coming in and work on that, and if we find evidence otherwise, then we'll look at that. That was the new San Diego County Sheriff Kelly Martinez speaking with KPBS's Jade Hyman. Coming up, ring in 2023 with some weekend arts events. We'll bring you a few suggestions. That and more just after the break. I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, 
Are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. California could soon have a new repository of electricity capable of stabilizing the state's power grid. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says a German company is building a virtual power plant brimming with potential. It's been less than a year since Andrea Divis moved back to San Diego County into a two-story Oceanside home. It's comfortable and cozy and Really, uh, the backyard is kind of my oasis. Divis is dealing with a chronic medical condition. She needs air conditioning and refrigeration for her medicines. When I was in Oregon, I was paying like, I don't know, $150 a month for my utilities. And now I come here and on the slowest months it was 200 and I got upwards of 450, 480. Divis saw solar as a solution. She added power generating panels to her roof and just inside her garage, there's a sophisticated Sonnen battery. The battery stores excess power generated on her rooftop during the day and uses that environmentally friendly energy when the prices go up between 4 and 9 p.m. We've got sun in Southern California. Let's use it to our advantage. We shouldn't be using, you know, crude oil and all of that kind of stuff. We're trying to get away from that. That Sonnen battery is made by a German company owned by Shell. A modem connects the power storage device to the Internet, and that connection could be the bridge to build a power reservoir that could help California avoid future power shortages. We've seen the flex alerts, you know, hey, look, we've got more demand than we have production. I need people to cut back. Mike Teresa works for Baker Electric Home Energy, which installs the Sonnen batteries and solar panel systems in San Diego County. We have these batteries with stored energy in them. That energy could be pumped out to the grid and help stabilize the grid. The company has only sold a few dozen Sonnen batteries, but Tereso says that number could climb dramatically by the end of the year. Sonnen has already developed software that will allow batteries scattered around the state to work together in a swarm, providing power to the grid when it's needed the most. That battery can be so much more. It's not just there for backup. It's not just the stored energy for you to use. That battery now has real value to the market, and you can be part of helping the California grid become more stable and more resilient. Sonnen battery owners get a payment for signing up to be part of the virtual power plant. Having a certain amount of electricity on standby is important for the grid, so battery owners get paid for making their stored electricity available. And if that energy is ever needed, the homeowners get premium rates for the power they release from the battery. Blake Riquetta is Sonnen's chairman and CEO. It's the next step beyond just putting solar on the roof is to have thousands of people have their batteries coordinated. It should save them more money on their electric bill, should actually pay them for their service and help us get rid of fossil fuel-based power plants. Riquetta says batteries can be located anywhere in the state because Sonnen deals directly with the California Independent System Operator the agency that runs the electric grid. He says Sona needs five to 10,000 connected batteries to have a significant impact on the grid. 
And the more residential batteries there are, the more they can help. Having a smarter grid that is more nimble, that can balance generation and load, and that can handle the, the difficulties in the grid is, I think, essential for the future. Millions of batteries someday should exist, and this will allow us to, amongst other solutions, allow us to decommission all of the coal-burning power plants once and for all. But whether companies like Sonin can encourage enough people to buy batteries is unclear. California regulators recently passed new rules slashing the value of electricity that rooftop solar owners sell back to the grid. Officials hope that homeowners buy batteries paired with solar systems to avoid high peak prices. But it's not clear whether the new rules will create the financial incentive to convince owners to spend thousands of dollars up front to install the systems. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. It's Friday. That means it's time for your weekend preview, courtesy of KPBS arts producer Julia Dixon Evans. First up is a musical that follows the Temptations' journey to fame. It's called Ain't Too Proud, The Life and Times of the Temptations, and it's based on the memoir by the last remaining member of the group, Otis Williams. The musical is full of the group's hit tunes, like this one we're listening to, My Girl, performed by the Broadway musical's cast. The remaining performances are at 8 o'clock tonight, 2 p.m. and 8 p.m. tomorrow, and 1 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. on Sunday at the San Diego Civic Theater in downtown. And Project Blank's annual group art show is returning after a nearly three-year hiatus because of the pandemic. Working Title is a community-based exhibition of new works by painters, sculptors, sound and video artists, musicians, and more. The works focused on the ideas of ritual, sacredness, and religious belief. The exhibition runs through tomorrow from 6 to 10 at night at St. Paul's Episcopal Cathedral in Hillcrest. For more info on these events and others, visit kpbs.org arts. And before you go, just another reminder that we'd love to hear about those resolutions you're trying to keep or working on. Whatever you hope to accomplish in the new year, there is still time to share it with us, and we'll share it with your fellow listeners. You can do that by calling us at 619-452-0228 and leaving a voicemail. Be sure to leave your name and what area of the county you live in. We're looking forward to hearing from you. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior producer Brooke Ruth and producer Emmeline Mohebi. We'd like to thank KPBS producers Lara McCaffrey and Nico Will for helping out our podcast team this week. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. 